If you would open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53, we are going to finally finish out this chapter. Hope you've been enjoying this walk through this. A lot of people have said how they've appreciated this, so I hope that you are one of them. I haven't been thinking, I hope we get done with that soon. <laughs> uh, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 10 through 12 today, and as we prepare for that, 1948, okay, uh, or 19, about 1948, 1940, 1940, England, there was an ongoing air battle between the Royal Air Force and the German Luftwaffe, and Germany had, you know, just destroyed every enemy in front of them. England was a little bit different picture because there was water, you know, between Germany and them, and, and it, it sent the Luftwaffe, the same way it had sent tanks into everywhere else, it sent planes into England, and in England, the Royal Air Force fought a furious battle where they were, were seriously outnumbered, uh, but they fought a furious battle that I'm not sure how long it lasted. And in the middle of that battle, somewhere while the battle was still going on, in the days and days of this battle, Winston Churchill made a speech that has become famous, and a line that in that has become famous. Speaking of the Royal Air Force, he said, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. Speaking of how the Royal Air Force had defended England at that time. And as we look at that, we look around society and we recognize our entire society is built around the concept of the, not the concepts, not we focus on that as our primary thing, but the concept is there, that there are the few who, as a rule, sacrifice, they live a life of sacrifice for the many. And I'm thinking of people like the policemen like our military, like our firefighters, people whose lives are dedicated to that purpose. Uh, that is what they do. We live in peace because of their sacrifice. And we have days like Veterans Day and Memorial Day where we, we, we look and we, we remember them in particular. Those who have both sacrificed, those who do sacrifice uh, their, themselves in different ways for the rest of us. Uh, never was so many owed to so, so few. I shouldn't say never because it's a way of life. It's every day so much is owed to so few. Uh, but we live in peace because of them. And, and there, but there's one statement that is more absolute. Because you could go with that. You go, well, you know, he, he said that, but then you look at, well, there are other cases. You know, I think I thought of the Battle of Marathon, you know, where the, the, the 300 Spartans held off the Medes and the Persians for however long. And, you know, there's other battles like that where, where a lot has been owed to a few. And, and you could debate that, but there's one statement you cannot debate. Never was so much owed by so many to one. And that one, of course, is Jesus Christ. And as we look at these last three verses of Isaiah 53, we see three separate statements about Christ's suffering and the blessing that comes to it, what, what we owe, in a sense, because of it, all because he submitted to his Father's will and he paid the price. So verse 10, he was crushed, we are his offspring. But the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. If he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And so we have the... the, the uh, 
crushing is that what he bore and seeing his offspring, which is us, is the blessing that came from it. Verse 11, the anguish of his soul, and because of that, he will be satisfied. Verse 12, he was poured out his life to death, and he is allotted with the great. We see the, the contrast in all three of them. In this first one, he was crushed, and we are his offspring. And no, Jesus was not physically crushed. He did not, you know, bear that kind of suffering, but he was emotionally and spiritually crushed, and crushed is the right word. Interesting thing, if we spoke Hebrew, which maybe somebody here does, I don't know, but we would know that that word, and I don't even have it written out how to pronounce it, uh, that word that, that means crushed can also be translated contrite, as in extremely sorry. Uh, uh, and that same word means crushed. And we find this word later in Isaiah. Uh, if you want to flip a couple pages forward, go to Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. And we find it as a description of how we should be. Uh, Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For this is what the high and exalted one who lives forever says, uh, whose name is holy, says, I dwell in a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. And that word contrite that we heard twice there is the same word that is translated crushed in Isaiah chapter 53, and is described in Isaiah 57 as contrite, describing the ones God lives with. He who is contrite and lowly of spirit to revive the heart of the contrite. If we are crushed by our guilt, if we are aware of how sinful our sin is, then God wants to dwell with us. That's the ones he wants to live with. And we find here that, that we're not talking about the person who says, oops, I did a boo-boo. You know, the person who gives the, the boilerplate uh, apology because he got caught and says, I'm sorry if I offended. I always wonder about that statement. I'm sorry if I offended somebody. Because you don't, there's no if in that. You know you offended somebody. They don't say there's, I'm sorry if I offended somebody. I'm sorry because I offended somebody. It's, it's an honest statement that way. But when you say if, you're hiding. And it's a not, that's not contrition. That's not contrite. That's not crushed. That's sliding away from punishment as much as possible. And contrite says, I am guilty and I feel my guilt. Uh, David used the word in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is called the, the penitence psalm. Psalm 51 is the psalm that David wrote after he was caught, after Nathan the prophet exposed him for his sin with Bathsheba, and David is so aware of his guilt. And in Psalm 50, 51, he writes this. Uh, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The, the crushed heart God will not despise. And when we become aware of our sin, that is how our heart should feel. It is our, what our response to our guilt should be. Uh, but what we find here in Isaiah 53 is we are guilty and he was crushed. We are the ones who should be contrite, but he is the one who was crushed. We are guilty of the crushing sin, and God was pleased to crush Jesus. He felt the emotional turmoil of our guilt, and he was crushed. And so crushed is the first word that jumps out to me there. And the second one is, is that it says, what's the way it says it in my version of the Bible? It says, the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. And I'm going, desired? How could it be possibly understood that he desired such a thing? Because it seems to imply a positive emotion towards that. 
something that he wanted to do. And if you look this up in different versions, you will find a version that says it is God's will. You will find it is God's good plan. Uh, some versions say it pleased God to do this uh, and mind that he desired to crush him. And, and, and as I look through those, I, I, if I was to pick which one, I'd like to say God's will. Because God's will does not carry the idea of a pleasurable desire. You know, the word desire is a a positive kind of statement. God was pleased to crush him. Sounds positive. And and so I want to say God's will and say it was God's will, but it was not something he wanted to do. But that would not be honest. Because the word is in a positive emotion. The word, the word is translated a bunch of different ways. It can be translated delight. That, that is, in fact, it is translated delight more than any other word uh, that is used. As in the phrase we find in the book of Esther, the one in whom the king delights. And it's that word. And, and, and you go, how could this be? How could it be that God was pleased to crush him? How could it be that God desired to crush him? How could that possibly be an accurate statement? And I think the answer is like this. God said, I will gladly pay that price. You know, you you go and you expect a price to be one thing. Uh, I talked to my tax man this week. I expected to be told $2,000. He told me 800. I said, gladly. <laughs> you know what? It's like, do I, does that mean I want to pay $800? No, but I will gladly pay $800 because I thought it was going to be 2000 And it is a price God has, is glad to pay. And it's not because the price is cheaper than he thought it was going to be but because he wants so badly to get what he gets for it. And he will gladly pay the price. It's not that God the Father was glad to sacrifice his son, but that he was eager for what that sacrifice would accomplish. God was eager for that. This is all a statement about John 3.16. For God so loved the world, right, that he was glad to pay the price. Of his son. And, and, and it doesn't mean that he joyfully paid the price of his son, but he wanted us that badly, which is, which is an astounding statement to me. I, I cannot understand that. I cannot wrap my head around that. My head does not go there. I, I, I can't see it. I, 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 <laughs> we're just us. But he says, what he says. If he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And by the way, the good pleasure of the Lord, that good pleasure is, again, the same word. I go, wow, why don't I speak Hebrew? (laughs) It's It's like, if I could learn Hebrew, and by the way, there's a reason I have not learned Hebrew. You know what? It's hard. I had a class once taught me to use tools that let me look up words in books <laughs> because I am not that smart. But you look at this, you start going, wow, it makes sense. He's saying something powerful here. He will see his offspring, and this is us. 
And, and when he says, when he says in verse 10, if he renders himself as a guilt offering, we are after the fact, so we can change that word from if to since. Because he has done it. It's not an if he will do this as before him. We, we don't know how it's going to play out. We know how it's going to play out because it has played out. And since he rendered himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And that, that prospering of the good pleasure of the Lord is us and those who will come to Christ through us and beyond us. We are, we are that one, the good pleasure of the Lord. We are his desire. We are his desire. We are the reward that he seeks. And... and and like I said, I don't, I don't see this. I have a hard time understanding it, but God loved us so much that he gladly paid that price. This is the price for, for, for he paid for us. Do not think for a minute there's any other way. Do not think for a minute there's some other way that someone could come to eternal life, that someone could be pleasing to the Father, because this is the price he paid, and there is no other price to be paid, or that could be paid. And if you are one of those people who are deceiving yourselves, thinking, oh, I'm good enough, <laughs> stop deceiving yourself. Because you're only deceiving yourself. You're not deceiving God. You may deceive your neighbor next to you who says, man, if anyone earned the right, it's that person, because, man, he's a good guy. But you're not deceiving God. God knows you better than that. And God knows the price he paid, and he knows that by saying, I'm good enough, you are scorning that price and adding to your guilt. That is what he did. He gladly paid the price, but it's the only price that could be paid. Move on to verse 11. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. And so we have the anguish of his soul. And this is so much more than physical suffering. Uh, we, we, we often read through his physical suffering, and his physical suffering was gruesome, and it was horrible. Sometimes it is more than we can bear to walk through. Sometimes we just, if it's some, something we're reading, we have to stop reading. Sometimes if it's something we're watching, we have to turn it off or walk out. I'll pick on Lynn for a minute. We went as a church to watch The Passion of the Christ, and Lynn watched it like this. So she only had to see half the screen. <laughs> did you remember that? So Yeah. Funny, I did too. Because it was gruesome. It was horrible. It was icky. But here, physical pain is not even mentioned. Because of the anguish of his soul. Bearing our wrongdoing required anguish of the soul, crushed. Physically, and horrible as it was, we could say others have suffered like that, but no one has gone through the, the emotional anguish that Jesus went through. No one has gone through anything that remotely compares to the anguish Jesus went through. And we can think about the times when we've gone through anguish, because most of us have. Some of us more than once. And we understand how horrible that is. He bore the full weight of all the sin of everyone. And we walk around, for, to a large part, oblivious of the weight of our own sin. Every now and then, we are struck with our own guiltiness. 
And I think that's a blessing for us to recognize how guilty our guilt is sometimes. And he bore the full weight of all the sin of everyone. Do you ever feel burdened by the weight of your own sin? Do you ever? It's, it's discouraging. It's depressing. You have a hard time just functioning. And you're just, you're not dealing with the weight of your whole sin. Just, just a part of it. And he did that too. And he was more aware of how sinful our sin is than we have ever been or probably ever will be. He felt your guilt more keenly than you do, my guilt more keenly than I do. And he suffered this extreme anguish of the soul. But as a result of that anguish, he will be satisfied. By doing that, he is able to justify us, right? Uh, By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. And justify is, is kind of a technical term, right? Uh, account, an accounting term. Our debt is paid. The, bal- the, thing, the, the ledger is balanced for us. Legal term, uh, declared not guilty. By his knowledge, he will justify the many. Uh, He's bearing the wrong, our wrongdoings cause his anguish, and by doing that, he looks at it and he is satisfied because he has justified us. He, this, that's what he set out to do. It's what he wanted to accomplish, and he did. And, and, and it all comes back to that thing that, again, I can't fathom that he loved us that much. Uh, the price he paid is, is incredible. But because he did that, he is satisfied. Because he looks at us, and for some reason, looking at us, he says, that is the reward I wanted. I accomplished what I wanted to. I got what I wanted. Essentially saying my investment paid off. I got what I wanted. Yeah, I thought of that anguish, and and he'll be satisfied. I thought about a mother having a child, going through the anguish of childbirth. You know who, as the child is being born, wants to kick her husband out of the room. He goes over to pat her on the shoulder, make her feel better. She says, get out of here. Don't touch me. (laughs) Then the child is born, and all of that's gone. She just sees the little one, and she goes, oh. And she, I'm not going to say she doesn't remember what two minutes ago she was saying, (laughs) but it's gone because that baby is there. And, and, and everything is worth it. And honestly, I think that's how Jesus, because he calls us his offspring, right? He calls us, he, if he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. We are, this is the process that it requires for, for our spiritual birth, for us to become his. And he is satisfied with it. He is pleased with that process. And for 53, verse 12, uh, because he did this, he will be great. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the plunder with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was counted with the wrongdoers. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the wrongdoers. And this one is set up a little different because uh, it it, uh, has the reward first instead of the suffering first, but it's got the same suffering and reward uh, combination in the verse. 
is set up a little different, but it's because he died, he will be great. Uh, it's, It's different, but it's the same. And because he poured out his life unto death, John chapter 10, verses 17 to to 18. John chapter 10 is the passage where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for for the sheep. And then he becomes more specific still, just in case somebody missed the point of what he was saying. He describes himself in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18 this way. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back, this commandment I received from the Father. Nobody takes my life from me. No one took it from him. They could not do that. He poured out his life. Nobody else poured out his life. You know, If somebody walks in here with a gun, they can shoot me and kill me. They can take my life because... I can't stop them. I can't say, nope, bullet's not enough. I mean, I could try, (laughs) maybe, if I lived long enough to say that. I don't have that authority. I don't have that ability, but Jesus did. No one could take his life. No one could do anything to him. He poured it out himself. He laid down his life for the sheep. No one took it from him. No one made it. No one has taken it away from me. I lay it down on my own. He poured out his life. Not someone else poured out his life because he poured out his life unto death. Because he did that, he poured out his life unto death. That was his offering. That was his sacrifice, the sacrifice that takes away our sins. And he was counted with wrongdoers. Jesus was counted as a wrongdoer. He was not a wrongdoer, but he was counted or considered a wrongdoer. Not just in company with them, like he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners, but because they said he was one of them. Uh, He was counted as a wrongdoer, not just by the, the Pharisees, the ones who wanted to say, because you hang out with sinful people, you are sinful. He, he, he was, he was uh, you know, he associated with tax collectors. He associated with prostitutes. He associated with lepers. And there's nothing sinful about being a leper, but they considered it that way. In their mind, leprosy was a, a punishment from God. He hung out with Gentiles. Uh, and, and you can just go on down the list. And the righteous considered him unrighteous because he, he spent time with the unrighteous. And they said because he hangs out with them, he's one of them. And, of course, he wasn't. But even God considered him one of the sinners. God counted him as a sinner. Why do we know that? He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ became sin. He took on all our sin and was punished. When he was punished, it was for the sin that he bore, and he was counted among the wrongdoers. On the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he do that? Did he just feel forsaken? And the answer is no. Jesus was correct in his assessment of what was going on. God had at that time forsaken him because he was paying the price of sin. God could not do that. Jesus could. That's why God became a man. That's why why God took on human flesh, so that as a human, he could be the sacrifice that paid for our sins. And he was counted among the wrongdoers. 
but even though he was counted as a wrongdoer, he had done no wrong. I mean, you just read this and you go, this sounds twisted. It doesn't make sense. And it only makes sense if we see Jesus as God and man, perfect and sinless and paying for our sins. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the plunder with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was counted with wrongdoers. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the wrongdoers. <laughs> and you have this, this the, the weird twisted logic of that is, is hard to follow if we don't understand who Jesus is. So he wasn't sinful, but he was counted sinful, but he was taking other people's sins, but he was guilty. (laughs) He was considered as a wrongdoer, but what he was actually doing was the greatest good deed that has ever been done in the history of eternity. And he was counted as a wrongdoer, and he didn't sin, but he took sin, and he interceded for the wrongdoers. He went to God on our behalf. And if you can accept it, as we nailed him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. As we were doing it, as we were the ones nailing him to the cross, as we were the ones putting him there, he said, Father, forgive them. And because he was considered a wrongdoer, he could bear our sins and he could intercede for us only because he was uh, considered a wrongdoer, considered in a legal, technical sense, guilty. The one paying the price. So he will be great and divide plunder with the strong. And that is, I want to tell you, there's something, there's power in understatement. (laughs) And and this reads as if he is just one of the great, doesn't it? Uh, it's another place where I just go, this is not said well. I, feel, I, want, I want God to say it better. <laughs> and that's my feeling of how it ought to be. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, as if he's sharing an equal amount of greatness with others. And, and it's not that. That's understatement. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, to the glory of God Almighty. Right? Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Uh, he will allot the portion with the great, but he will all—he will be the greatest, not by not by a scale. You know, not like on a scale of one to ten, he's a ten, and there's some nines and eights and you know seven and a half. It's, uh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> And it's not like anybody will pretend they can compete with him or belong on a scale with him. He, he will divide or a lot. He will be with the great and he will divide the plunder with the strong, not as if he is getting an equal share, but he will be the one giving out shares to the others. He is, he is the, the actor, not the actee uh, at this. He is the one dividing plunder with the strong. He is the one giving out rewards. He is the one giving blessings. He is the one giving talents, as in the parable. Uh, He is is doing that, and it is because of all he has done. Because he has done these things for us, he is in that position of victory uh, also for us. And he will give out rewards. Our rewards sound so pathetic in light of all that he has done. The fact that that we call it our eternal reward somehow offends me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because he's already said, what eye has not seen or ear has not heard, uh, what the mind has not conceived. So great is the reward he has for us, or the treasures he has, has for us. And, and uh, 
we look at what we deserve and if we're honest, it doesn't sound that good. But he's got them for us. The price he paid is terrible. But the victory he won is great. So many owe so much to one. And it's a debt we can never pay. But here's what we can do. Dear Jesus, we bow the knee and our tongues confess that you are Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just worship you. We, we take a brief look at, at how great you are and how greatly you suffered and that you did that for us. And Father, Lord Jesus, precious God, we worship you, we praise you, we thank you. Father, I cannot say enough. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.